0: All right. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning as we continue to work through this little epistle of James, very practical. Uh, I think it was Luther that called it the epistle of straw because it didn't talk about grace. It talked about works, but we're assuming you've read about grace already, and now you've got to put it into use with your works. Um, And the passage we're going to read today, you know, I originally signed it to, to be part of what Dan did last week. And he sent me a note says, Rand, that's just too much. I think I can do it. And I'm like, oh, come on, Dan, suck it up. You can do it. No, no I didn't say that. Um, but when I looked at it, I said, well, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's, that's obviously two passages, um, two sections, and two very important things, concepts, that we have to deal with. Dan dealt with one last week. We're going to deal with this one this week as we look at James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read the word of God? Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to your word today. Send your Holy Spirit to give us understanding, not just the words on the page, but Lord, help penetrate into our hearts. Help us understand your character and what it is that you are doing in this world. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, So please be seated. This is um, one of the most practical, but also one of the hardest passages to get into our brains theologically. Um, it is something that each of us deals with, that questions throughout history have been asked, and it deals with the problem of evil in this world where did it come from, what's it doing why is it in my life, why does it seem to prosper, all those types of things Um, so today this is uh, I kind of hate to do this but there's when we're talking about a doctrine that is this important some of this is going to be sermon and some of it is just going to be more lecture because scripture tells us certain things about the character of God and we just have to live with his character. And his character is for our good and his glory. That's the way he works in this world. I want you to understand, before we go any farther, for the believer, that's the, just the believer, what he does in our lives is for our good and for his glory. It's to help us understand what he is doing to shape us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So when we talk about evil, there are quite a few books out there on the topic of evil, and I've mentioned these two before. You know, the classic "Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People?" and by uh, Rabbi Kushner, and then Dr. Gerstner wrote a response to that: "Why Do Good Things Happen to Why Do Bad Things?" No, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm getting over cold, and it's just a little fuzzy. Kushner's book: "When Bad Things Happen to Good People." Dr. Gersner's book, Why Do Good Things Happen to Bad People? Now, which are you? Are you a good person or a bad person? We're all bad. Okay? So why does anything good happen to us? The Sunday school class, we said, what, what's the heart like? Well, it's, all you have to do is read Romans chapter 3. It's an open grave. No one seeks for God. No one. Okay? Who can trust the heart? Jeremiah 17. Don't trust it. It is terrible. So why would anything good happen to us? Well... It's because the Lord deems it appropriate. So the issue at hand this morning is the reality of evil in the world. We will all face trials. It is guaranteed that we will face them. What we do in the midst of them, how we come out on the other side of those trials and tribulations, will be determined a lot by what we understand about our Heavenly Father, how he works in those trials, and from where those trials originate. Now, if you believe that evil is a result of systems that we have created or those who just want to oppress others and you can, uh, or purely selfish choices, then you will be forever frustrated with this idea because you can change the system, but who still runs the system? People. Okay? You can change those who are in charge and put nicer people or fairer people, in your opinion, in charge, but who will still be in charge? people see the evil the sin lies here in our hearts and it is our nature outside of the work of christ outside of his saving grace to think of ourselves first and foremost so as a result of this reality the life of the believer will include that's the reality of evil will include count on it if you haven't gotten there yet you will get there if you've gotten there and gotten through it You can look back and see how the Lord was at work. Trials, suffering, struggles, personal tragedies, unexpected sicknesses, untimely deaths of those we love, all the types of things we would rather not experience. And we may even ask the Lord, aren't I faithful, Lord? Aren't I somebody who loves you? Why are these things happening in my life? Just as the rain falls on the just and the unjust, so does tragedy come to the believer and the non-believer as well. And I am convinced, now this is, this is one of those things that, that you, you can only be convinced of if you've kind of gone through some things, that certain aspects of Christian maturity can only be achieved through trial and suffering. Certain aspects of Christian maturity can only be achieved through trial and suffering. There are lessons the Lord has for us And the only way that we will learn, the only way we'll be prepared to care for others afterwards, and the only way we will understand certain aspects of his grace in our lives is through trial and suffering. It doesn't mean it's the only way to understand things. We don't always learn so well when we're joyous and we're prosperous and things are going easy. We tend then to focus on ourselves and focus on the temporary. It's when things seem to fall apart that we chase after God and we cling to him in trial and suffering we cry out to our heavenly father about the injustices that we face how unfair things are I shouldn't be treated in such a fashion why are these things happening to me it's there that we're teachable it's there that we're moldable it's there in the furnace that we are purified so let's look at what James has to say for us to us this morning It begins with a great word, blessed. That's the same word used in the Beatitudes. It's used over 50 times in the New Testament. In the context of the New Testament, the word blessed means the man who finds complete happiness in God no matter what the circumstance. The man who finds complete happiness happiness in God no matter what the circumstance doesn't matter whether they are prosperous or not prosperous hurting or not hurting whatever it means they find their complete happiness in God we should not be surprised when God allows things to test our faith after all he tested some of the great people of faith in scripture just a couple Abraham tested him when he said take Isaac and offer him to me, Genesis 22. He tested Job through many, many difficult circumstances. He even, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, was tested, Matthew chapter 4. So James makes a pronouncement about the goal of God's work within us in this testing. We can see it. Um, that it is a crown that is to be given to us when we make it through testing. Now, God is not interested in seeing the believer fail. He is not up there, even though sometimes we may think that he has his full attention upon us, and we wish he would look at somebody else and work in their lives a little bit. But there are times where the Lord is working within us, seeing, not seeing if we're going to fail, but wanting us to grow and endure in and among the trial and the testing and even when the evil comes upon us. 1 Peter chapter 2, what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure, but if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of the Lord. And then after the period of testing, then the crown is given. This is not the crown of salvation. This is a crown of joy, a crown of gladness. And it is given to us. It is not something that we can go, okay, Lord, I've been through testing and I faced evil on seven occasions. Seven is the perfect biblical number. I want the crown. It's not the way that it works. The crown is given in the Lord's timing. The crown is not earned. James is reiterating what God has said to believers Ever since the first chapter of Genesis, again and again, implicitly, explicitly, we live our lives knowing that God is going to reward us eventually in heaven. He's got an inheritance that is set aside for us. All of these things we know in part now we will know in full there. We are not like the pagan who has no hope, who thinks life is good and then you die. Or that the goal of this life is to get as many toys as you can because the one who dies with the most toys wins. That is not what we are here to do. We live our lives in light of all that God has promised to us in his word. Let's look at verse 13 and see what we have here. So, let no one say when he is tempted. Now, you're going to be tempted. If you weren't tempted already today, give it time. Okay? You, you might be tempted to uh, speed on the way home. I don't know who would do that. Um, you might be uh, tempted to uh, harbor anger in your heart. And that's just today. That's just maybe in the next 20 minutes or so. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God tempts no one. But he allows, he sovereignly allows. We're going to say that word on many occasions today because God is sovereign. He sovereignly allows the world, our own fleshly desires, and even the devil to tempt us. Yet the temptations we face are all common. There's no new temptation out there. I mean, it may come packaged in a little bit different form, but it is the same. He does not allow us to be tempted past the point that we can with his help resist okay the problem is i rely upon randy and i don't turn to the lord i am disobedient i know what it says but i just want to do what i want to do and that's trouble that is trouble first corinthians chapter 10 talks about enduring and resisting the temptation. So when we give in to temptation, we can't blame him for presenting us with a circumstance that are unusually powerful or so uncommon that it gives us an excuse to sin. The fault when we sin is whose? It's mine. It is mine. The Old Testament teaches a man's sin deserves death. But thanks be to God that he sends Jesus Christ. That when I sin, that sin is covered by his spotless blood. Because sin still remains within each believer, that sin may blind us. It may blind us to understand that our testing and the evil that comes into our life is really a purifying work. Sometimes we fall in the trap of thinking that adversity is an excuse to sin. Well, God's allowed a period of financial difficulty in my life. Maybe if I cut some corners, maybe if I do some shady deals, then I can prosper again. When we face difficulties in our marriage, we might feel that God is tempting us to look elsewhere, giving us a license to seek an ungodly divorce. God doesn't do that. He does not do that. The passage makes clear that God does not tempt us. He allows our faith to be tested. But if we're tempted to do evil, it is a result of our own weakness, our own sin just going to quote here a person who exhibits authentic faith looks at his circumstances and in the midst of temptation recognizes that though god may have allowed the trials to come the desire to break his law is not from god for god cannot be tempted with evil he tempts no one to sin my desire to break god's law comes from me comes from me now i mentioned the sovereignty of god earlier a lack, a correct lack of the understanding of sovereignty of God can make this temptation, the existence of evil, kind of a hard concept to understand. We understand that God is in full control of everything, of all that happens, directing everything according to his purposes. There is nothing that falls outside of the scope of his eternal decrees, Ephesians 1.11 Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Where does the name Randy come into that? Okay, it it, it doesn't say, it makes it according to what Randy wants. It's everything according to his plan. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Nothing takes place that is contrary to his eternal or sovereign decree. And what he does with his creation, he does so for his glory. It's just the way he works it. Now, while God may use evil, he does not actually do evil himself. It is, in fact, utterly impossible for the Lord to do anything that is unrighteous because God, by nature, is good. There is no evil, no stain of sin in him. Scripture teaches this, the inherent goodness of God, the impossibility of him acting out wickedly in any fashion. But, of course, this does not rule out the opportunity for God in the role of second causes. It highlights the reality that God is directly and explicitly involved in bringing about good for believers in ways that to our human eyes appear to be evil. God is directly and explicitly involved in bringing about good for us as believers in ways that to our human eyes appear to be evil. When has evil come upon you? And then later you went, yeah, I see what the Lord was doing. Or perhaps you may ask that question your entire life. God does not, he's not obligated to give us an answer why he allowed things into our lives it may not be until you stand before the lord in glory but by then you won't be interested in why because you'll see christ and that's all you will be interested in through the years christian scholars and what we call apologists those who argue for the existence of god have had to wrestle with this question One of the most difficult questions they face, the problem of evil. The problem of evil. Where does it come from? Why is it here? Faulty human reasoning. This is faulty human reasoning. goes this way. If the Lord is all-knowing, that's omniscient. If the Lord is all-powerful, omnipotent. If the Lord is all-good, omnibenevolent. Then he would not allow evil to take place in his creation. Since evil occurs, God must not be all good, all powerful. And since he doesn't stop it, he must not exist at all. See how easy that was to argue away God? Hmm. The problem is especially troubling when we talk about Reformed believers. Because we believe so diligently and and exclusively in the sovereignty of God. We affirm that not only do both evil and good exist, but that a good God has ordained every evil that takes place. Really, Rand? He is sovereign. He is sovereign. If the Lord ordains evil, how can he be good? That's strictly a human question since God's word is clear. That for those who belong to him and are called according to his purpose, he works all things for their good. I don't always understand it. I don't always like it. But that is the promise of the Lord. Even when we as humans see things that we believe to be evil, the Lord may be working them for our good. Are you the believer prepared to accept that even if he never, never reveals to you how it worked for your good, are you willing to rest in him? Well, Rand, you really don't know what I've been through. You don't know what evil has come into my life. The tragedies that have been bestowed upon me. Those things that that were not my fault. And I've cried out to the Lord and I've asked him, Lord, what is it that you're doing here? Because I don't understand it. Because I don't see this as good. And he says, can you trust me with those things? I may never tell you why. But I've done them so that you may be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. Those are hard. It's not easy. Okay? This is not easy to, to wrestle with. Those are hard things. We can only say so much about how we can reconcile the existence of evil with the goodness of the Lord. To some degree, it is a mystery. And not until we arrive in heaven will we fully understand. But as I said earlier, I'm not sure I'll care. Because Christ will be there. By saying that God allows and even uses evil, it doesn't make it all that clear in our minds where it comes from, though. Reformed theologians have often said God allows evil, but he just doesn't sit back and watch evil take place. Rather, in allowing evil, God establishes that it will serve his purposes. So, what do we know for certain about these things? Well, the Lord is good. He cannot do evil himself. We saw that right here in James any biblical answer to that question begins first with the recognition that the Lord certainly does ordain all things. While scripture tells us creator is perfectly good, there are many passages that tell us that he uses evil. He uses wickedness. I'm just going to list to First Kings 22. Now therefore behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all those your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. Psalm 105, when Israel came to Egypt, Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. For reasons not always evident to us, the Lord sometimes determines it is better to allow sin than to stand in its way. Sometimes he deems it good to permit evil in the life of the believers. Secondly, we affirm that the Lord can stop any occurrence of evil any time. If he's all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants. And if he wants to stop it, he can stop it. And perhaps you have seen that in your life. You didn't maybe understand it at the moment where there seemed to be the tide of evil uh, in your life. And all of a sudden, it disappeared. All of a sudden, the person that was persecuting you, whatever, was gone from your life, whatever it may be. He is all-powerful, Genesis 18. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And, of course, that answer is no. Mark 10, Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. However, evil is never God's final purpose or goal. He ordains it, again, for our good and for his glory. We see this plainly, most plainly, in the death of Christ. An evil that God ordained from before the foundations of the world were laid. Acts chapter 2. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He used this evil for the greatest good that we will ever experience in our lives. Our salvation. So let's wrestle for a moment with the, the question of. So where did evil come from? Where did it come from? Well, let's look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So evil comes from me. Evil comes from me. But where did it originate? How did it get inside of me? Well, evil exists, as we see in in our society, in several different manifestations. I'll I'll just give three. There's natural evil. That's disasters that kill and destroy. It's just part of the natural fallen world. We saw that evil in in Selma just a a week ago with a tornado, earthquakes, things like that. There's a moral evil, which is personal. It's manifested in my own wickedness. It comes out of my own heart. Sins everyone commits. Uh, Every relationship is tainted by that uh, moral evil because of our moral sin. And then, of course, there is supernatural evil. That is the demonic. For we we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 6. Those powers are allowed only to go so far. We see that in Job. Satan comes and says, hey, Let me have a Job. And and the Lord goes, you can only go this far. You can only do this much because he is sovereign over all things. So we see that evil exists both in our hearts and throughout the world. So if evil exists and God exists, then it must be God's will that evil exists, right? But if there's no trace of sin or evil in the Lord, where did it come from? Because it exists. I'm going to quote from Dr. Michael Reeves, who's a seminary professor in the U.K. He says, there's no such thing as a cup of evil. Think about that. You get a cup of evil? Well, I've got plenty of evil here, but can you get a cup of it? Evil is a perversion, he says. It's a lack of being. A clear biblical illustration of this is the difference between light and darkness. Light actually exists. It has waves and it has particles Darkness does not. There is such a thing as light. There is no such thing as darkness. Darkness is simply a lack of light. There are two Hebrew words that capture this theme. Kavod and Havel. Kavod, when associated with God, means glory. Remember that glory is weightiness. It's a substantialness. When we talk about God's glory, it is a real thing. The opposite of kavod is havel. It's the word used in Ecclesiastics for meaningless, vanity, 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 all is vanity. It's insubstantial. It is also used for false gods, because false gods are insubstantial. In fact, they are unsubstantial. They are nothing. A piece of wood that somebody carved a face on, a piece of stone, something like that. They are utterly unsubstantial compared to our Heavenly Father. But also, Havel is used when we turn away from God and to sin. When we turn away from God, we walk into nothingness. We walk into nothing, meaningless, vanity. That's what we pursue. So why did God will the existence of evil? Again, I'm just going to quote. Through evil, God demonstrates his love, his wrath, and the riches of his glory. I better say that again. Through evil, God demonstrates his love, his wrath, and the riches of his glory. The presence of sin allows God to demonstrate his love and righteousness. How else could he show the character of his love that allows him to love his enemies if there were no enemies? God endures this horrible assault on his everlasting holiness and the blaspheming of history of sinful beings, And suffers it to display his wrath to the fullest extent. God demonstrates the riches of his glory to those that he has saved. The greatest good is God's everlasting glory. Romans chapter 9. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? By definition, whatever God does is not sinful or evil. Whatever he does is good. Since God cannot sin, then the existence of evil and God's use of it does not taint God in any fashion. Whatever he does is right and good according to his purposes. And he is willing to allow evil to affect our lives for our good. It may be years until you understand why he has done that. Or it may be never. Evil exists. We will all be affected by it. God uses it for our good and for his glory. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is, uh, this is a, an important concept to each of us personally. Because each of us has been affected by evil in this world. Each of us has come face to face in our trials, in our sufferings, with things that were unjust, with things that we thought we we shouldn't have to face. Perhaps it wasn't until long afterwards we recognized your sustaining grace in the midst of those. Perhaps it wasn't until... Years later, that we can look back and go, that's what you were doing in my life. It doesn't ease the pain of loss of loved ones that was unexpected. It doesn't ease the pain of of the disease that we may have been affected with. But it reaffirms our understanding that you are sovereign over all things. Lord, I pray for those who are wrestling with this question for they, maybe they have not found answers. Maybe they have looked in your word and still you have not revealed to them what it is you're doing in their life. Bring your compassion and your peace upon them that they would understand that being held safely and securely in your hand does not keep us from evil, but guarantees you will never let us go in the midst of it. You will be our shield. You will be our fortress. and You will never let us go. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.